0: Thanks for listening to all our uh, Canadian and also our non-Canadian listeners out there. Um, Our guest today is the extremely talented, proudly Filipino-French-Canadian, passionate, eccentric, amazing, Emmanuel Chateauneuf. During the daytime, she works as a teacher, shaping the minds of tomorrow, and then during her other time, she's contributed and created many amazing works such as the Feathertail Review, Captain Canuck, her online comic strip, The Daily Comics. Today we talk about her published graphic novel, Queen Street, and also her progress on her second graphic novel, Saint Anthony's School for Misplaced Children. You can also find some of her great stuff on batmani.com, so that's B-A-T dot com. We also talk about her experiences as a Filipino-French-Canadian in the small town of Sault Ste. Marie Her experiences at Sheridan College and also how sometimes you need to be confrontational and really shout your way to publishing your first book This Is Postal Chronicles, and I'm your host Matt Falk. So thank you so much, Emmanuel, for coming in here with us today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really good, thank you. That's
0: good, despite the cold weather. Yeah, you made it out.
1: (laughs) I'm actually kind of enjoying it. I mean, the sun's out as long as like the wind isn't blowing. I'm fine because the wind here is hell. It's hell.
0: So true. Um, So before we talk about your book and dive in, um, let's talk a bit about uh, where you're from. Um, So. The book, Queen Street, seems very autobiographical, and you are it is. <laughs> <laughs> you are also from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In an interview, you described it as very strange yet charming. Could you kind of explain that?
1: That's <sighs> me, me being very like political about my, my answer about the Sioux. So the Sioux is, uh, how do I explain my hometown? Um, well, it's in northern Ontario. It's smacked up in the middle of the three Great Lakes, uh, very small, only about 75,000 people. Um, it's the name, Sault Marie, it's French, so it was originally a French town until, I think it was a little bit, it was before the Second World War, or was it before the First World War, that there, it opened up to immigration to a lot of the Italians, and there was a mass flow of immigration, so now about, like, 75% of Sault Ste. Marie is Italian. Well, they were Italian immigrants at the beginning of the 1900s, right. yeah. but now the Sioux is just very, very Italian, <laughs> and very, um, well, a little bit, but it's, like, a lot of people assume, because the only French you really hear about in Canada is from Quebec and Montreal, but we we definitely have um, like a large French population in Ontario, and they they would be what I would... Oh, people would probably get offended by this, but they, they're kind of like our, our rednecks. Right. Is that what makes it so strange? <laughs> um, well, it's just a very... Like, imagine that now. You're in the middle of nowhere, so you're mm-hmm. like a microculture. You have nothing to compare yourself to except for popular media, so right. you get this mixture of... Italian Guido Guidet culture. So the Guido Guidet culture mixed with kind of like a little bit of that redneck French Canadian. And then you have like everything in between. The way that I would always describe the Sioux is that it's Jersey Shore meets eight mile. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, yeah, that is very strange and yeah, charming.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, it's charming. You're like, that's interesting. Like, that's yeah. a fun mix. It is. It's kind of weird. But you're like, also, that could open a lot of doors to really not okay things. This is Sue. <laughs> um,
0: so, in this desolate that you describe, um, was there at least, like, a household that encouraged creativity? Was Because, like, how did you kind of get into this um, uh, graphic novels?
1: Well, to be honest, I guess mm-hmm. you can say that I was in a household that encouraged creativity, but not in such a way where... Um, It was something that was given to me in a way where like my parents were like, oh, nourish this. This is a beautiful thing. No, it was more just kind of like my parents were always busy and, um, you know, they were also dealing with a lot of their own personal strife that they didn't manage to kind of complete before they became parents. I was Mm -hmm. left alone a lot and um, a really good way to kind of keep me busy was to give me media and... Yeah, that's just what my parents did also because, like, we had a really hard time interacting with one another because, um, you know, when people have a child, they assume that, it, oh, I'm just going to have a child. It'll be a kid, like, buying a dog or a cat. And even in buying a dog or a cat, you you completely forget to realize that these these – Creations; these creatures have emotions and feelings, and they might not get along with you, or they might not have the same interests as you. So when I, you know, was a kid, immediately, (laughs) my parents were like, "Who is this stranger in our home now?" And, um, but yeah, my dad though he he owned a comic book store called the Starbase, and that's kind of where I got comics for the first time because my dad just had so many comics in the house. He ended up giving up the store to one of his buddies and it they changed the name to world of comics and collectibles but it was still just down the street from us so i I basically grew up in that store we would just go to the store and he would hang out with all of his buddies then i would just kind of wander around the aisles and read and just stare at everything i could get my hands on right
0: i feel like um uh, having uh, a lot of time away from your parents is a very immigrant (laughs) story i feel like it's a very um kind of like an idea that a lot of uh immigrant children can get they can relate to mm-hmm. um the story about queen street now talking about your parents it really captures the story between a daughter and her mother mm-hmm. can you talk a bit about your mother or women in your life
1: yeah Victoria? well it's really funny i was actually thinking about this a while ago because more and more i realize that i'm turning into my mother you know and yeah. then i wonder too and i'm like but i look back and i sometimes wonder i'm like are you truly t- turning into your mother? Are you, you simply turning more into yourself? And these are the qualities that you superimposed over your mother. Hmm. Like, you know, when you think back in childhood and you remember things sometimes very clearly and then other times not. But I think also, too, because my mom's changed so much. Like the, the Amy that you see in the novel, my mom's name is uh, Rosalina. So Sally, we just call her Sally, (laughs) Mama Sal. But she is a totally and utterly different person now, you know? And I think a lot of that too is because, you know, those are... When you're in your 20s, right? In those years, you have a lot of drum and fife. You're still questioning so much. They talk about now how the 20s are, you're still like... (laughs) Your 20s are your new teens. Because there's so much happening in the world that you can't possibly reach the, the appropriate level of maturity to kind of function at a very stable balance level until you're mm-hmm. about 30 you're also getting money and money also helps in that stability <laughs> it helps like you know calm those nerves like my mom now because my parents have finally you know reached a stable place within their finances yeah. whereas like in those years my mom was like constantly in and out of jobs um, couldn't find any jobs. Couldn't like yeah. hold anything down because of her race and because of like other like ethical things that she just did not that did not jive with
0: her. Yeah, that was kind so of My your, so go ahead.
1: Yeah, my mom kind of raised me as a single parent, but um, I guess I had to answer the question. I guess my mom when I the way that I remember seeing my mom as a kid was more like a big sister, and partly because my mom this is a very this is very immigranty so um for anyone like don't anyone who's not fr- who doesn't have family or know someone or empathize with someone from a third world country do not judge try to empathize so my mom when she was um a kid she was only about 7 the, uh, the philippines was going through an, an a horrendous civil war and where there were like st- uh street what is it called when they executions <laughs> there was yeah. like street executions which she witnessed as a 7 year old child her own father was um, murdered Um, He just kind of like he was a a politician at the time and one night he he left after curfew because they had enforced curfew and they said that they found him um, Like, you know macheted to death Closed casket. It was like a big scandal. They're like, but is he dead? We don't Mm -hmm. know blah 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 And but to my mom she's like no he died and then at that point Due to, like, actually, like, racism, uh, the family was broken apart because my mom's mom is primarily Filipino, or uh, Chinese Filipino, whereas her father's side is Spanish Filipino. And they didn't like the Chinese Filipino side. So finally they're like, oh, he's out of the way. We can finally cut her off of the family. And Mm. then her and her siblings were all broken apart. And, um... So her family was broken apart and after that they had to, they just, everyone lived in different places. Her little brother went with her mom. Her sister immediately um, went into university and was working full time trying to get her degree to become a doctor. The other sister was doing something similarly. And then my mom, because she wasn't like old enough to go to university yet, she um, lived with various family relatives. But in that time, the closest one or the closest woman to her was her eldest sister, Linda or Erlinda. And she was basically, the way my mom tells it, she's like, well, I had my mom, but she was more just kind of like a distant figure in my life, that the woman who was there for me the most was my eldest sister. So I was raised by my big sister. So you can see the problems in that. (laughs) And then, um, so the way that my mom raised me, and you notice in like the relationship between the little girl and the mom, it's more like there really are no boundaries. And it's Mm -hmm. more like two best friends and how the mom like allows the child to argue with her. And she Mm -hmm. even confides in the little girl. Um... But yeah, it's that kind of, it's that kind of relationship I had with my mom where she was more of a big sister. And it was really weird because like over the years, she's slowly made the transition in like trying to be mom because then my mom tried to like turn herself into the ideal of a mother. And then we had to have the big talk where she was like, I never had a mom. And I'm like, that's fine. (laughs) That's totally okay. Whatever. Just be yourself. But yeah, no, that's my mom. She's like my big sister, and she is just feisty. And like in the Philippines, she was like a journalist and a lawyer. Yeah. And she wanted to become a politician just like her father. Her younger brother ended up becoming the politician. But yeah, that's that's really her. She's just feisty, has a lot of spirit. But um, yeah, that's really her. <laughs>
0: I mean, I think that came out a lot inside the book, um, even like I think in the first couple of scenes, how you know she's storming out and she did have a relation with her husband's family. In the yeah, book. yeah, yeah. So like, was that kind of...
1: <sighs> My grandma was, um, this was something really funny. My dad had a really, 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 he continues to have a really bad relationship with his family. The whole kind of, uh, this is a very classic Canadian tale, but, you know, after the Second World War, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of uh, beating the kids, a lot of Catholic schools that beat the students, um, you know, witnessing residential schools. So my dad had a very rough childhood within within his own right and does not have a good relationship with his family um we really don't have a good relationship with them but my mom when she came to canada that was the one thing she was like okay i love you there is no way that i'm moving to Mm. a foreign country without anybody where is your mother and he's like i haven't spoken to her in years my mom was like i don't care i'm gonna find her we are gonna be a part of like her life whether you want to or not or else i'm not marrying you and then so my mom tracked down his mom Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um it's it's mentioned very lightly, it's kind of like hinted at, but my grandmother was a heavy alcoholic um in the book. Yeah. And like the her, that's why like her relationship with Pat is very tense. Um the one the other character who's an open alcoholic and like mm-hmm. kind of just like accepts her place in life yeah. as, you know, someone who casually drinks as many beers in a day as we now drink coffees yeah. in a day. So she's just, you know, um but yeah, she found my grandma, and then they developed a relationship. And like, I wish I had more time to get into it because I wanted Queensview to just be short and snippy and mm-hmm. just a nice snapshot kind of thing of what life was. I didn't want to go into mm-hmm. the whole big, epic, you know, idealized journey, whatever. Yeah. Not that it wasn't idealized, but they had a really beautiful relationship and where my grandma was able to kind of achieve redemption through my mother. My grandma was a character. Um, yeah. <laughs> as you saw in this, yeah. she was a, ooh, she was an interesting woman, but she was trying her best.
0: I actually do really like how it was split into 12 hours. And that's probably the reason why you want you didn't want this large saga or like journey mm-hmm. or conclusion. I mean, as a fan, um, mm-hmm. I would love to kind of see like a sequel, maybe, you know, when Melody's grown up. Like, if there is, I think that'd be exciting to do. Is there, do you think there's a sequel coming up later or?
1: Well, I, I've been thinking of doing that for a while, but I honestly think the way that I look at it, From the perspective of, you know, a creator and an academic, what I like to consider a little bit of a philosopher, but everything that comes from me will always have Melody in it. Every single Mm -hmm. one of my works has a leading lady, and -hmm. you can consider that leading lady the grown-up version of Melody. Why? Because Mm -hmm. I am the creator, and, you know, you create what you know, all of the work that I make from here on forward yeah. will essentially be like, oh, now we're watching Melody as a grown woman going through struggles and going through life. And actually in my online, on my account, I do, my Instagram is kind of more just like you're, you're seeing my brain working. It's like a diary that I'm constantly just vomiting information onto. Yeah. But I do have, like I have done several drawings of all my leading ladies throughout mm-hmm. my life and have kind of like hinted to a lot of their storylines and their plot lines and kind of what parts of my life I want to channel into them but it's made perfectly clear that they are all a part of Melody and that they're all kind of the older versions of her trying to console the little girl through life I just believe that our like our minds stay the same they just keep getting bigger and like wider and more vast like we're in a library right now which is interesting (laughs) because like I'd always refer to like my mind palace as just it's a giant library and like as time goes on it just gets bigger and bigger it gets more shelves more books but it's it's kind of it's that idea. So yes, many, many books about melody will be coming out. <laughs> as long as I'm alive and I'm telling stories, they're all going to be about melody.
0: You hear that, people? Just follow her <laughs> on Instagram and you can find more about melody. <laughs> yeah. So I know on staff um, at Postco Chronicles, there was a couple of people who read the books, and, you know, oh, some were really? Filipino. And they were very emotional, I think, reading about Filipino-Canadian representation. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask a bit, like, about what was the inspiration? I mean, I know we're just talking a lot yeah. about that. Well,
1: um, to be honest, th- th- a lot of people, I feel so bad when they ask me this question. The inspiration was I wanted to impress my mentor. Um, I never... <sighs> Queen Street was a really... It was really hard for me as a project, not making it. Making it was the easiest thing in the world. McQueen Street was kind of like my happy accident, which is funny because you see the parents now struggling with this child that they're like, we thought it was gonna be so easy to have a kid. We didn't realize how much we were going to learn about ourselves, that our child would be the perfect mixture of both of us and just make us so hideously aware of our pasts. I just remember I was like 17, 18 years old. I was um, really annoyed in university because I wasn't getting given I wasn't getting given. <laughs> I wasn't given knowledge I felt was right for me at the time. I was learning so much, so much good knowledge, but nothing that felt at that time in space um, what I needed at that time. I was just mm-hmm. kind of filling my library with all these books and just kept, kept on shelving them and shelving them, going like, when am I actually going to get to something that I can use right now? And so one of my teachers challenged me because I was talking to her while I was, compl- I was bitching to her one day and i was just like i hate this like i'm just like i'm so annoyed and i'm tired and this isn't what i want and she's like well Mm -hmm. if you don't want it then go and go out and get what you want you want to be a comic artist god damn it make a comic book what do you want me to tell you and then i got huffy of course because i felt challenged so i went out immediately and i started and i contacted well i went out to another teacher who do you know in comics and she was like whoa okay i know this person contact them and then so i contacted her which led me to meet my mentor ramon k perez And then, yeah, I just, I showed up and he was like, cool, well, clearly you seem really passionate. Let's just do a little exercise, make a 10 page comic, come back to me in two weeks with a script, came back with like a 60 page script, came back two weeks after that, I had drawn something like 20 or 30 pages of what is the beginning of Queen Street. Mm. And it just, it just, it was one of those things, you know, like you would probably hear artists talk about this all the time, but it very much is, it was inspired um, I just sat down one day, and I remember I was thinking, I'm like, well, what do I want to write about? And then I thought what I wanted to write about, and I realized that I just didn't, I didn't have the skill. I have, I had nowhere near the skill required to write about what I wanted to write about and draw about. So I'm like, well, what do I need to hear right now? And then for some reason, in my head, immediately a scene of my grandmother and my mom in the like station mall food cart popped up, mm-hmm. and they were fighting. And that, it was the scene that you yeah. see of them where the girl's like, I'm so confused, and I'm mm-hmm. tired, and I'm stressed, and I just, I want to, I want my daughter to have a good life. And that's exactly how I felt. And all of the information I needed came, it came to me. And then from that scene forward, the whole book just, it, I spat the whole thing out. And yeah, <laughs> and then that was that. And then like two years <laughs> later, there I was with the whole book. And it just happened like in a flash, to be honest.
0: Did you go back and scold that teacher again? (laughs)
1: No, oh my God, no. She she and I had a really good relationship. Um, yeah, she and I had a really good relationship. It was more because like, I have yeah. this relationship with every single one of my teachers. I'm the student that challenges the teacher because that's how like I learn through debate and through being able to have a very open and like long discourse with my professors because I just have a lot of questions. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I have a very hungry mind. <laughs> right. And I was a very lonely person too. So like that's why I'd always like, I love my teachers. Um, you're trapped. You can't go anywhere. You have to. To talk to me you're getting paid to do this Manny. but no that's not exactly how I felt but definitely uh yeah no we had a really good relationship and I felt so excited to be able to like once I got my first print of the book yeah. I like secretly like messaged her husband on Instagram and I was like hey can I have your address I want to send something really awesome to your wife yeah. and he was like yeah no I heard about you man this is gonna be good and then I, I wrote her a nice little letter like thanking me like or thanking her for pushing me kind of thing and for being just like a cool honest teacher who wasn't scared because like i feel like most teachers might consider that to be like maybe appro- inappropriate i don't know i challenge all my students the same way so <laughs> um we haven't seen each other since but like we-, we still like talk on instagram we like each other's photos okay. you know the usual stuff
0: and you went to sheridan college right
1: i did um,
0: i know some of our listeners uh go to sheridan college mm. um, do you have any advice for someone who is kind of let's say, frustrated in school and...
1: Oh, yeah, I have the perfect piece of advice. It's really funny. I read a hideous article today from the Globe and Mail about uh, this ridiculous elitist critique on art schools and how Mm -hmm. the quality of art is being degraded because students fail to, you know, have the kind of skill and quality that artists used to have, like in comparison to, say, romanticism and neoclassism and... Mm -hmm impressionism and um all like all just work from the eighteen seventeen hundreds 1700s to the 2000s this whole idea where like if you can't draw perfectly you can't draw at all you don't deserve to draw and all this stuff and my biggest my critique of that whole critique was this and I think it was it's probably the best advice that I could give to any person in any field of creation even if it's maths or, maths or sciences it's the fact that we're learned to create and create and create and create and create and to do the thing and to keep going and to keep pushing and to keep exploring and to mm-hmm. keep expanding our minds and to going into new lands, but without the full understanding of what it is you're doing or even what kind of weapon it is that you're wielding. You know, you hear the sayings that um, the pen is stronger than the sword because the pen is a sword. Words hurt. Art hurts we see that so much today where you have audiences act out against creators being like what kind of juvenile ignorant bullshit is this Mm -hmm. who like what in what world did you think that you could release this and it wouldn't like it would be okay (laughs) perfect example suicide squad the glorification of abusive relationships yeah and the idolization and kind of like pop icon of the abused woman. Mm-hmm. It's sexy to be abused. Emotional abuse is sexy. Ugh, hideous. I think it's like, that is such a ignorant, oh, I hate that so much. It is so insensitive to people who have actually gone through that. And then when I see young girls dressed like that today, mm-hmm. anyways, I'm going off on a long <laughs> ramp. Probably the most important piece of knowledge that I absorbed in university is that without strength of mind, you cannot have strength in that which you create. It isn't about how pretty the sword is. It isn't Mm -hmm. even about how powerful the sword is. It's about how intelligently it is that you wield it. So, and like, what was really nice in illustration was that they taught us, particularly nowadays, like, if you see a lot of popular illustration, it isn't like the super hyper-realistic, you know, perfect Renaissance-esque art. It's really fun, and it's naive. It has a childlike quality to it. It's this idea where anyone can draw it. Anybody can be an artist. Anyone can convey ideas through simple shapes. Mm-hmm. Iconography, the idea of the peace sign, you see that and it's like a super simple shape. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. circle and like four lines, but you know exactly what it means. It's that kind of idea where it's very simplistic. And what illustration kind of taught us was the idea where it's not about your skill. All of that is subjective. like prettiness beauty ugly whatever that is subjective that doesn't matter what matters mm. is the idea behind the illustration the idea mm. behind the action the intent and if the intent if the intent is understood that is power that is success and you'll find like a lot of illustrations today it's not so much that the drawing is good but the idea is good right Right. and because the idea is so powerful suddenly the image has like a million times more value and a million times more worth than if it were just superficially good looking. But yeah, so I guess like the message would be is like, don't focus on the outside stuff. Don't focus, like even like (laughs) as students, it works like don't focus on what you look like on the outside. Don't focus on the physical world around you, you know, and really focus on the meat, the core, the substance that gives life mm-hmm. to the creation and that's how you make something successful
0: so building off of that speaking about the ideas behind art and i know in an interview i believe it was with true north country comics you were saying that through comics you challenge that readers uh, take some of these messages yeah. of being heroes in their own lives could you talk a bit about some of like your role models in your life or
1: oh wow well I'll talk about some of the the more recent ones that I'm meditating on because I feel like my heroes constantly change depending <laughs> on, you know, which part of my brain I'm exercising. But recently, I've kind of fallen back in love with Leonardo da Vinci and then Michelangelo. I know that sounds so basic of me, but like, Don't please know. let me explain. <laughs> yeah, go for, it, um, go for it. I always found Leonardo da Vinci fascinating when I mm. first learned about him. Not because like, I mean, the guy only made seven paintings. Like... <laughs> whatever, but they were masterpieces yeah. because with every, he only took him seven pieces of paintings or seven paintings to master the art of painting. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't so much that his drawings, like his, his the, the way that like, because Michelangelo was far superior to him in, in sculpting and in painting. Mm-hmm. But once Leonardo da Vinci understood it, he did, and then he'd move on and do something better. That's why the most, Mona Lisa took eleven years to paint because he would just get bored. Because <laughs> like he he mastered the like what he wanted to achieve halfway through the painting. and He's like, well, now what do I do? Oh, I know. I'm gonna go invent the plane. And just find it fascinating and inspiring. I just loved this hunger this man had for for creation and life. You don't just have to kind of limit yourself to one thing. I think mm-hmm. that's more so the reason that I like it. He's just a really good example, like an idol that I could look to and be like, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. But I love that idea of like, you can sing, you can dance, you can draw, you can compose. You just need to have the will and the drive Mm -hmm. and be like prepared to do the hard work to make these things come true.
0: I think uh, Leonardo da Vinci would have been like a really good like millennial. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) Like millennials today, everyone has their side hustle, everything, Mm -hmm. everyone has their own Mm -hmm. side hobby. Mm -hmm. I mean, you yourself, you're an illustrator, a storyteller, a teacher, Mm -hmm. kind of like a renaissance you know woman yourself <laughs> today right and so before we continue about the book i really do love the specific panels where we go away from the real world yeah. from you know, the mother's conversation with the grandmother in the food court for example and in you know to world mm-hmm. um is there one specifically that you really like drawing like of one specific like scene well they all
1: when I draw, right, like mm-hmm. the, the emotions, because I guess I'm a little bit of a, an expressionist in the way where I, I when I'm drawing, I am emoting. Um, the The emotion you see on the page is the emotion that I was going through while drawing that piece. And so, I don't know. I love them all because they're all very specifically wonderful to draw. I really enjoyed drawing the Tarzan scene because it was just (laughs) badass. And you're sneaky and you're lurking in the jungle. And Mm -hmm. it's quiet. And just that, like, fierce animalistic intensity, you know, of being the predator. I really enjoyed that. And then I also really – I loved the the little mermaid scene because just Mm -hmm. bath time. Like, even now as an adult, I'm in the bath and I'm just like – Little Mermaid, part of that world, (laughs) (laughs) you know. And then the other half of that bath scene where there's the fight. I remember that was an incredibly painful scene for me to write because I was going through a huge hole of self-hatred writing that. And it was very difficult and hard for me. And it took me, like, weeks of reflection to kind of realize Mm -hmm. why I was so upset and what, like, deep-buried traumas it was actually digging out of me to draw that scene and to, you know – really finally give vision to the pain that I had listening to my parents fight about me. And then Alice in Wonderland, again, it was just like family, fun, yeah. nonsense. Mm-hmm. That kind of, like, there is no time and space, only emotion and happiness and just wonder. But
0: The mermaid scene, for example, I really liked how... Um, I don't want to spoil anything for those who haven't read it. Oh, but, I'm sorry. Just, spoilers <laughs> out the butt. So... When the mother is fighting with you know the father, mm-hmm. I love how there's like the ocean and I get like a very Miyazaki feel to it. But also I really like how it, you can see the emotional weight, like it's underwater. That's what the scene is like. I think that's like a really good... That's a really
1: good art critique. I never heard that one. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. I enjoy that. The oh. weight. Oh, I, yes.
0: Thank I you. <laughs> I had a really good really strong Panyo scene from from Miyazaki. Mm. Um, Do you have a specific Miyazaki film that you really like? I love
1: to use him as like a lens through teaching because he does the perfect modern mythical fairy tale where like a lot of the older fairy tales, um, you know, very European fairy tales, that's like classical to teach the lens through here in North America. um, I find them incredibly one-sided, particularly since a lot of them work through the lens of, well, like men, white men. And then... Although, like, it's still, like, they're still perfect in every way. I find that Miyazaki, he kind of corrects upon them a little bit and then adds in a lot more modern values that those people, even though, because, like, the whole point of the fairy tale is, like, the deep core of humanity. It's never going to change. It's timeless. But he adds in just, like, enough. And then also enough... um, philosophy and ethics and morals and ideals from various other cultures that not that yeah. aren't just like that very white lens right, right. to kind of really round it out for us. And I find that his fairy tales work so well in Canada. Because it's this is the thing about him. I find that I go back and forth throughout my life and there'll be movies that I connect with more so at a certain time because I need them, because they're teaching me a lesson. Because what do fairy tales do? They teach you a lesson. They teach you a moral. But right now, the two movies that i think are resonating with me the most i watched one the other night but only yesterday which is actually isao takahara well two I'll, I'll, I'll. okay here we go <laughs> um definitely the well, two movies from isao takahara so only yesterday and then whispers of the heart and then for miyazaki right now it'd have to be howl's moving castle and spirited away great a little bit A tiny (laughs) bit of Princess Mononoke.
0: That's a lot of favorites. (laughs) Well, because they're kind
1: of, they're all really the same story. It's just that they, the scene and like the content changes where one is about the environment and then the other is about war and then the other is about... Kind of defeating the demons of childhood, where the war is between you know you and the mom or the the dad, like the parents, right? Seem to
0: really like uh, battles, relationships between parents and moms. Well, it's it's like that, like man
1: versus woman versus nature, (laughs) woman versus self, woman versus.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of strong, a lot of philosophy. (laughs) Well, a lot of strong female characters in uh, those -hmm. films, right? Moving on as well um, to what you're working on today. Yeah. St. Anthony's School for Misplaced Children. Mm-hmm. I know you're still working at, on it and you know, I don't think maybe still not needs a, place- a publisher. Yeah. <laughs> right. But uh you hear that people?
1: <laughs> yeah, just uh wink wink, nudge, nudge, please. Um but yeah, it's a St. Anthony's School for Misplaced Children. Um it's gonna be my next work. Um it's set in the beautiful Algonquin wilderness, as I mentioned before, in the nowhere nothingness of all the yeah. all the space and time in Ontario. And it's a cast of yeah multicultural children, ten kids, two nuns, and a priest. Oh, and a friar, <laughs> yeah. and just kind of them in the middle of nowhere in a little tiny town, kind of battling today.
0: Is they're gonna have uh, some of the same themes that we ha- saw in Queen Streets?
1: Yeah, it's um, this time. It's more so because, like, Queen Street was very much ahead. Like, you, you, you see in Queen Street, you see the dynamic between generation, so the millennial. And then you see generation X, and then you see what was X, Y, what, what doubled?
0: I have no clue.
1: Well, just like you see three overlapping <laughs> generations interacting with There's one so another. Many
0: names <laughs> For we'll generations, just, yeah.
1: Three interacting generations with each other. I, and I hope that St. Anthony's will kinda kinda pull off that same flow of where you get to see three generations interacting with one another. So you see X, Y, and Z all together and how, you know. We, we live in this delicate balance today where you see the young interact with the slightly older and interact with the old and how all three people almost live in their own separate worlds is strange to me because we're all living at the same time in the same moment and they, how they all approach life from these different ways, which could all you know, be so much easier if people just remove their biases and their pride and mm-hmm. just you know opened up to learning kind of deal all three ages but yeah it has the same theme of that where you see three generations hanging out with each other and going through life and teaching there's always a theme of teaching and asking questions right. and love and life and family and growth and you know all the good stuff that's so exciting
0: <laughs> i can't wait you hear that publishers someone <laughs> someone get on this <laughs> thank you so much for coming and uh, thank speaking you. with us yeah it was a pleasure having you
1: thank you so much for having me
0: Postal Chronicles is hosted and produced by me, Matt Falk. Rostislav Saroka was the co-producer for this episode. Our staff includes Alice Coombs and Kasuma de Our main theme song is called Last Endage for the Day by Loyalty Freak Music, and there are other music credits on our website. If you liked what you heard, give us a rating, share us, follow us on our social medias. We love to hear from our fans, and even if you aren't our fans, we still love to hear from you. Thank you for listening. We will see you soon.